but it's a great, you know, one of the greatest uh, communities probably left in America that truly, you know, neighbors help neighbors. And, and, and that's why we continue to put it on. I was just with somebody at the, at the political stand, putting up the flags and, and this is his first year. And he says, man, everybody really around here, they just, they've got their own job, don't they? And I said, yeah, you just stay out of their way. They've been <laughs> doing this and their families for generations. Each person gets, gets the job done at fancy farm. And, you know, it's, it's just a great family gathering uh, that we uh, so much enjoy that we continue to do it. So we're excited for this Saturday. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. You might have heard for the third time in just over four months, a former U.S. president has been indicted. But is the rule of law being equally applied to presidential families? We'll talk about Hunter Biden as well. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Scott Jennings is here and Kevin Grout. Hello, guys. Hey, Joe. Joe. And this is our pre-Fancy Farm setup show. I'm excited about Fancy Farm this We're year. We're recording this. Me too. We're, uh, it's going to be a robust uh, show. The last time you'll hear us before we all go horse. Uh, we, uh, so we're recording this on a Wednesday night, and uh, all the campaigns will be heading west over the next couple of days, and then we'll convene in far western Kentucky on Saturday afternoon. St. Jerome Catholic Parish. We already, I think, determined last week everyone's mutton versus pork. Barbecue choices, but in the meantime, we will get get to that momentarily. Scott, I I was conflicted about where to start tonight with you because yeah. really you've been high profile on the two big stories of of the week of of the month, and that is, of course, we t- we mentioned Hunter Biden and the continuing controversy there, and really just kind of interesting uh, <laughs> folks try, trying to blame Republicans for somehow on, oh. on Hunter Biden. I can't figure that out. We will get to that, but I I, I do think historically speaking. I, w- I just want to hear on the record here about everyone what what you think about this this third indictment here against Donald Trump and Scott I I'm, I'm kind of leading you uh, along sort of my big ob- observation here really interesting uh, divergence here of even some more institutional conservative outlets like the Wall Street Journal seem to be taking Trump's side here yeah I, I talked about this a little bit on CNN last night I started to see it in my you know, social channels last night, I, I could see some voices that I wouldn't have expected uh, coming out and defending Trump or at least attacking Jack Smith. And then by this morning, Wednesday morning, Wall Street Journal editorial says this is a bad indictment. National Review, which has been extremely critical of Trump on January 6th and on the Mar-a-Lago documents case, came out and kind of hammered uh Trump. Now they have since posted a column, uh, sort of a counterpoint. But the editors, I mean, the the opinion of the of the outlet is right. this is a bad indictment. And also, our friend, friend of the pod, Eric Erickson, uh, began having some commentary last night. And in his Substack this morning, he uh, basically said, um, essentially, the gist of it was, you can believe two things: one, that Donald Trump should never be allowed to be president again, mm-hmm. and two. This is this is not activity that you should have criminalized. I think I think all of their these center right, anti-Trump yet still Republican arguments, are are um, centered around um, the idea that it's criminalizing free speech. Yeah, mm-hmm. Donald Trump said a lot of things, and you're hearing the Trump team say 
you know, good luck, uh, you know, criminalizing free speech. Also, good luck proving that he didn't believe that he won the election. Now, the indictment lays a, sort of a, tries to address it, and it lays out all these people who uh, say uh, that they told him, you know, the fraud isn't real, you didn't win, and it starts at the vice president, you know, DOJ officials, Department of Homeland Security officials, campaign officials, people in the states. I mean, there's a whole litany of people. But his lawyers are apparently going to argue that Trump really believed that there was fraud and that he had won. What they haven't addressed with that argument is the scheme to have the fake electors, which is different than just having rhetorical things out in the public domain. When you actually set in motion a plan to essentially um, set up a diversion or, you know, try to insert chaos into the process by which the electors meet and are chosen and then submitted for counting at the Congress. So uh, I don't know. I'm I'm still it's interesting. You know, I was very critical of Trump on January 6th. Um, Very terrible day. I mean, whether you loved his presidency or hated it, I think you must believe this is true. And everything that's ever written about his presidency, the first sentence will mention January 6th. So you you can't not look at that and say, yeah, all things considered, it was a, you know, a, you know, one of those things that just happened and we'll we'll forget it. So we're not going to forget it. The question is, uh, should it be a criminal endeavor? Now, already something like a thousand people have been charged yeah. as part of the Capitol riot, but nobody consequential in terms of being a public figure. They're all consequential. They're human beings, but <laughs> but no, no public figures. These are the first public figures and so I'm, I'm actually torn on it to some degree. I'll be candid. The, the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, and Eric's comments did, they did, um, I, I, it gave me something to chew on. But at the same time, I'm reminded of Senator McConnell's words on the Senate floor. Actually, Kevin, I don't know if we have it or not, but, you know, during the second impeachment trial, there was a lot of conversation in the Senate Republican conference about whether you could actually impeach or convict a president after he was out of office. And the off-ramp that they ultimately mostly took was, well, we can't convict him because he's out of office, but there are still institutional mechanisms to hold him accountable if those institutions believe that he was somehow personally liable for what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And as you look for the, Kevin, let me know when you get it there. Um, You know, it seems to me that the this is the institutional argument here because the Wall Street Journal and other more conservative, when I say conservative, I mean institutionalist outlets yeah. are as much arguing for the institutions. They're arguing for the presidency and what the future of it looks like after that. But the difference is between, like, let's say Richard Nixon and Donald Trump is Richard Nixon didn't want, did not want to put the country through what we're going through today. And so he decided to resign and never come back. There, there are some good points, though, to be made about being very careful about the idea of criminalizing speech. I mean, as, right. as has been pointed out by me a number of times on television. Historically, you have, I mean, this, this is, goes I'm, back 20 years. I was re- Somebody on my Twitter feed this afternoon, I'm sorry, my ex feed, <laughs> was, yes. saying, was saying, boy, you know, is this just going to be the norm? People, you know, challenging the outcome of an election's... From here on out, I'm like, what do you mean from here on out? We're on a 20-year slippery slope here, starting in the year 2000 when they tried to challenge the Bush electors, the Democrats, I mean. And then again in 2004, then you had uh, had Republicans challenging uh, the legitimacy of Obama's candidacy over his birth certificate in 2008. Uh, And then you had, obviously, the the Russia 
uh, collusion claims uh, by Democrats to try to, I mean, they repeatedly called him an illegitimate president in 2016. Then you have Trump saying the election was fraudulent in 2020. We're in the middle of a 20 plus year cycle of the other party claiming the election was stolen, these electors are frauds, you know, whatever you want to say. It didn't start with Donald Trump. We're, we're on this slide right now. And, you know, you could probably make a little money in the betting markets if you lay down some cash on whoever loses is going to say the election was stolen <laughs> in, right. in 2024. I mean, the nature of our electorate is elections are bound to be close. I mean, look at the New York Times-Siena poll this week, 43 to 43. You got Mitch? Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office as an ordinary citizen. Unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he was in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. So Senator McConnell there on the floor during the second impeachment was essentially foreshadowing what, at the time, I interpreted as the position of a great many people, which was, we're going to let him off the hook here because we expect him to be held accountable there. So it's interesting that on the right, you now have people saying, well, these criminal charges um, shouldn't stand either. It's it's an interesting unfold. I'm, I think I sense there's still a lot of people that are sorting out their feelings about all this, because I know a lot of people were upset on January the 6th, and and but a lot of time has passed and a lot of chance for people to ruminate on it. So I don't well, know, an unfolding breaking story. There, I mean, I have no problem with Donald Trump being delusional and in terms of from a legal standpoint. He's, he's allowed to, to be self-centered, narcissistic, uh, put the, himself before the country. That's, that's, that's his prerogative. Where it changes is when he begins to break the law to try to uh, enforce his delusions. Well, that, that's part of the argument that's being made, though, is that Smith is stretching the bounds of these statutes on which Trump has been charged to contort uh, what Trump did and, into criminal offenses. And not even charging him in some of the things that people have been talking about. Like, he wasn't charged with insurrection. There's a statute, but Jack he, Smith he, chose not to charge him with that. He wasn't charged with seditious conspiracy. And so th- there has been some discussion about, well, why is that? Now, the lawyers I was on television with said he brought the simplest case that could be tried the fastest. Right. Because in their view, this indictment was written to get to trial as quickly as possible so that uh, a jury could render a verdict. And and we can wrap on this point. I, my, my main takeaway from all this is whether you think Trump is at fault or not, whether you think these charges are righteous or not, now that he has been charged, and I recognize his lawyers may not agree with this, it strikes me that the indictment is really a political document. It's a political argument against Trump until he is given his day in court and until he gets a chance to defeat it in front of a jury. And so what I said on television last night was, I don't see how you can't not have this trial before the election. Because at this point, you basically have the Biden administration saying, here's 45 pages 
of of why we hate Donald Trump and he deserves to be in jail. How can you not give Donald Trump and his lawyers a corresponding chance to argue against that and to try to defeat it in court? Now, it's interesting, I and I'll close on this. I asked some lawyers last night, which is a stronger case if you were Jack Smith, the documents case in Mar-a-Lago or this case, which is tried in the District of Columbia? Universally, they all said the documents case is a stronger case, mm-hmm. open and shut. Because it's, it's, it's simpler. But in the Florida jurisdiction, they are less certain about the jury. Oh. So they consider this indictment, at least some of them did, to be a weaker indictment, but it's in Washington, D.C., where you might assume that a jury would be more critical. So it, it's really kind of an interesting, because my question was this. The documents case is slated to go to trial in May. When would this one theoretically go? And some people were saying it won't go, but then others were arguing, well, I don't know, the way he wrote it, and, it, and it, there, you don't have all the kind of ancillary litigation issues. Mm-hmm. Maybe it actually goes first, or maybe they delay the documents case to get this one into the public domain. No matter what happens, Here's what the future holds. Coming up in August, I expect Trump will be indicted in Georgia uh, by Fannie Willis, the the prosecutor in Atlanta. And then on the calendar, during the presidential campaign, you're going to have trial dates for January 6th, the Mar-a-Lago documents case, the Georgia case, the New York Alvin Bragg, you know, uh, hush money payments, which is still the dog of them all. And all the while, Trump is going to be I assume, leading the Republican field. But the, the, the odds of one of these cases being adjudicated before the convention next August, when he formally becomes the nominee, strikes me as, as fairly as there's a fairly significant chance that'll happen. And, uh, and we don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's crazy, crazy world we're living in. Jared Crawford has joined us via Zoom, Skype, whatever you're on. Any, any thoughts before we go to the next topic? No, I mean, I, I think Scott's right on it. You know, there's a lot to be figured out before the election, you know, and, and so a lot more, I think, still to, to, to be seen, be heard. So he's not the best come. color man in the league for nothing, folks. We're <laughs> 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 on a podcast. Any thoughts? No, not really. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. First of all, if I was talking to Kevin about this before we went on the air, if you will, and this is a novel that is such a bad novel. This, this whole plot is so implausible. If I'm writing this from Dan Brown or something, Da Vinci Code from mm. 15 years ago, I think there is no freaking way that you'd have a president, first of all, under indictment three or four times yeah. for four different crimes, allegedly. And beyond that, you know, fighting his own uh, election loss, trying to, you know, force the vice president to take this action in the Senate. It's, it's, it's really it is more a matter of looking into the. You know the constitutional machinations, like the Masonic Lodge and that kind of thing. What's going to happen? It's, it's conspiracy stuff. It's just it's crazy. Well, that's what the Trump people say. It yeah. is a conspiracy <laughs> <Yeah>. against <laughs> him. And you know when you look at the Department of Justice and their interactions with the Bidens lately, and you look at the Department of Justice and their interactions with the Trump family, you might understand why they think that. But we have a special guest, and it's not Jared, and it's not Jared, but I know he has a lot to say. Stephen Elder is on the line of the Flyover Country podcast tonight, joining us live from Fancy Farm, Kentucky. Stephen. Yes. You guys hear me? Oh, hey. yeah. You're loud and clear. Yeah. Warm up All those right. pipes before right. they <laughs> reach the stage at St. Jerome. Now, Stephen is uh, the yeah. head of the uh, political speaking 
uh, committee and uh, the group of people that work hard to put on what is one of the best spectacles in American politics, the the stump speaking that goes on at St. Jerome uh, in Fancy Farm. And it's coming up this Saturday. And Stephen, thanks for coming on the show to give us a little preview. What is noteworthy to me about this year's Fancy Farm is how many speakers you have. Because over the last <laughs> few years, we have battled right. COVID, which closed us down one year. And we have battled some politicians who tried to boycott it and and uh, get people to stop showing up, and that failed. And here we are this year with every office that's on the ballot in 2023. The declared Republican and the declared Democrat are coming. And in addition to that, the current office holders who were outgoing are also coming. Is this the most robust speaking platform with views represented from both parties that we've had in recent memory? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, Scott. I think there's going to be 20 speakers and um, yeah, on both sides. So I think the crowd will be there. Uh, we haven't had this in a long time. Uh, so I, I guess it's kind of a, an after COVID kind of a, kind of a situation where it, it, it very well could be the biggest picnic that we've ever seen, uh, which is, it seems like we might've said that before, but truly, I don't know how you could get any bigger than what we're going to have on Saturday. Yeah. The um, um, thing that I've uh, took note of this week, um, and I know you've tweeted about this a little bit, we're also this year attracting what appears to me to be uh, national attention. I know CNN and Fox News are saying they're coming. I've been in touch personally with some reporters from different national outlets. It looks like we're going to have one of the most robust media turnouts you remember back in 2014 when you had the McConnell-Grimes Senate race, we had a huge national media turnout that year as well. Uh, but it strikes me that this is going to be a, a pretty major national event this weekend. Yeah, I think so. I think that with uh, with the turnout of uh, potentially Senator McConnell actually going to be on stage there, that's probably very exciting for the people to watch and see for a lot of different various reasons. And then, you know, we're one of the few states that have elections this year, so the, all the gubernatorial type of uh, situations come into play. You know, Andy Bashir being a, a pretty popular Democrat in a very deep red state uh, is is probably exciting to see from a national level how all that turns out. So I think all eyes are going to be on Kentucky on Saturday. Joe Arnold. Remind me, Stephen, of the rules, speaking rules. Has anything changed this year? How long do the candidates have to speak? Will you play them off the stage in some way if they go over time? What's, what, what are the, what are the rules going into the engagement here? Yeah. So, you know, with, with 20 speakers, you know, typically you're looking at an hour and a half, two hours worth of political speaking. And that's about all we can take, you know, as hot as it is and all those things, you got to go <laughs> run, run and find you a sun drop at some point. So it, it's, it's pretty warm. And, and so we, we allow the governors, uh, the senators, kind of your federal delegation to speak for around six minutes the other constitutional officers, five to four. We'll have our uh, state rep and uh, state senators probably welcome around two minutes. So it kind of keeps the flow going. But yes, if they go over, uh, my seventh grade uh, elementary school teacher there at Fancy Farm uh, holds up the signs that tells the, the politicians, hey, you got 30 seconds, you know, you have to stop. And then the, the guy that cuts them off will actually look at me. And if I kind of give them the nod, they'll start playing that banjo music and <laughs> cut their mic and they're out of there. Stephen Elder, the Grim Reaper of many a that's Fancy right. Farm speech. I, I think the that's hook. why everyone is so jealous of you. I mean, I can't imagine who wouldn't want to tell a politician, stop talking. What, what's the movie where, like, where, where they're, in the, like, they're in the Roman Coliseum 
and it's like uh, thumbs up or th- oh, no, Elder just Elder gives him the thumbs down. <laughs> now, now, Stephen, I'm old enough to remember when when Jack Conway uh, caused a a rules change there as far as no profanity there at the picnic. Uh, at the podium, are there any? Uh, do you have any admonitions for either the candidates or the crowd? What are you hoping as far as their performance, their behavior? What are, What are you? Any direction that you'd like to be able to give to them? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely, you know, it is. It's a Catholic picnic, so we don't really like to have uh, cursing there on stage. So that's that's not a good thing to do. But we certainly want them to engage with their supporters, get them all riled up. Here's some cheers. Here's some booze. You know, those types of things. Maybe poke some fun at their opponent. That's what Fancy Farm's all about. It's all about having fun and, and, and enjoying themselves on that day. So, you know, don't take it too personal is what I would tell all the politicians. I've seen some people, some people get off and say, oh, you know, that really hurt my feelings type thing. <laughs> well, you got to be able to stand up to that. They're in the wrong business. <laughs> so F- Fancy Farm's not for the faint of heart. And uh, we, we do want everybody to have a good time. So if you're a national reporter or a first time visitor, uh, Stephen, paint a picture for us of the of the picnic grounds. Uh, you've got the stage, which is a covered area. Uh, where the crowds gather for the speaking, and then outside mm-hmm. of the stage, what are the other things people can do at the church picnic that ultimately supports the mission of the day? Yeah, you know, obviously it is. At the end of the day, it's a church fundraiser for for St. Jerome Catholic Church there in Fancy Farm. And and what I tell national politicians or national uh, reporters that come in, it, they're, they're just completely blown away as to uh, what's going on here. I mean, even the speeches themselves, you know, they're like, yeah, that's never, never a speech I've really heard before. But the different things that go on, we have, you know, tab bingo, we have bingo, we've got a, a chance to, to win a brand new uh, Jeep this year. Uh, we have barbecue uh, um, on the pits, you know, 19,000 pounds. We were in the Guinness Book of World Records back in the 80s for the largest one-day picnic. Uh, so it's a lot of fun, a lot of games. It's an old traditional Catholic church picnic that everybody has a, a, a quite a bit of fun. And again, the, the meal that you can get there is the absolute best meal you could possibly have. Corn, yeah. you know, green beans, everything's produced there locally in Fancy Farms. So everybody has a really good time. Break it down for us. What is Stephen Elder's go-to menu? What What does everybody need to get before they leave? You know, you don't get mutton very, very often, you know, in town. So getting a good mutton sandwich, you can find pork different places, but a good mutton sandwich with a nice cold sundrop, uh, which is kind of the ski of Western Kentucky, you know. <laughs> uh, you definitely want to partake in that. What any, well, any recommendations in terms of first of all the I think the speaking begins around two o'clock local time, three o'clock Eastern. In the past, when I've arrived, I've come in, I've tried to drive in pretty early on in the day to make sure I can get a parking space. But in ter- if I've never been there before, in terms of getting into town, parking the whole thing, any suggestions for folks who are the first time fancy farmers? Yeah, really, it's just to get there early because, you know, the picnic starts at 10 o'clock, so the first bingo is called at 10 a.m., and people will sit there literally all day trying to win something. So, and, and then as politicians start to come in, uh, it gets very crowded. So, if the, you know, if you're thinking, well, I'll get there by 2 o'clock, you know, I'll, I'll start heading that way around 1, you're probably not going to make it to the to the political speaking stands. And typically so speaking, definitely get there as early as you can. Like I said, exactly. I'm sorry to interrupt, Stephen. Typically speaking, you have stalwarts who show up every year, and they're going to basically camp out or set up their their lawn chairs or their fold out, whatever they call those chairs now, stadium chairs. Uh, you know, they're underneath the 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 the, uh, the gazebo as 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 quickly as possible. I would think that's. You, you would expect that again. Do you ever have people kind of, sh- you know, uh, try to reserve spaces? How early can you get there if you want to be able to be there front and center and, and reserve a spot? Yeah, you know, that does happen a lot. And unfortunately, we had we had a situation last year. We 
we had a, a few politicians wanting to on the same side, wanting to reserve the same spots, you know, they kind of set up their red chairs, blue chairs and those types of things. And then there was this like 80 year old person that had been coming there obviously for many, many years. And he's like, this is my spot right here. And I'm going to sit right here. And he kind of moved all their chairs out of the way. And just <laughs> front. So, you know, it, it, you have to have a little bit of respect for some of our elders and things. So um, it, it, you can get there as Says early as you Stephen want. Elder, Again, respect the elders. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. And the MC this year is David Beck. Is that right? Yeah, David Beck, you know, so we wanted to choose somebody kind of the middle of the road um, person that was very professional, highly regarded, and I think he's going to do a good job, not not necessarily to jab one side or the other, but be very fair because, you know, again, it's a constitutional year for all these uh, officers that are running, and so I think he's going to do a really, really good job. Now, you've clearly seen a lot of these over the years, and so you've seen a lot of, a lot of good jokes and a lot of flops. Who do you think is going to have the best joke this year going into it? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I guess an, an easy an easy answer would be Mike Harmon, probably. Mike Harmon <laughs> right. throws some really great dad jokes out there. So he I'm sure he's gonna have a, a ton of uh, little zingers and stuff, but I would say they're all gonna they're all preparing. They all reach out to me and kind of ask me different questions as to what they what what's happened in the past, some of the newbies, you know, that maybe not have been on stage before. So I think they're all really preparing for for a lot of good fun in the the minutes that they have. You know, the one thing, and I, I like Fancy Farm. I'm a supporter of Fancy Farm. I think you need to go to Fancy Farm if you're a candidate for statewide office in Kentucky. Over the years, um, it seemed that the, the din of supporters, or it's it's less about the din of supporters than the din of opponents in the crowd. Seems It used to be when I first got there, people would actually listen to what the person was saying, and then they've, they'd heckle them with a really good, mm. you know, uh, uh, just, just a, a, a one-liner, just to come in there. It was clever. Now it almost seems, and I don't know what you can do about it, people just want to shout them down. And I don't know if what your thoughts are on that. It's, it's, it's one thing just to kind of say, I'm going to make as much noise as possible so no one can hear what my opponent is saying, versus let me listen to them and, and respond in kind. Any thoughts? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I, you know, truthfully, I don't like it. I don't like for somebody just to sit there and yell the whole time. That's not what Fancy Farm's about. You know, uh, some of, you know, uh, Governor Nunn and uh, Wendell Ford were really good about kind of putting somebody in their place whenever they were really talking, you know, the, a certain way. But sometimes they'll just, they'll, they'll yell the whole time while the candidate is up there on either side. And it's just not, it's not very appropriate. I've talked to the campaigns about that and they say, look, we're not going to do that. Um, so hopefully the, the supporters will, will kind of get that message. We'll, we'll say that at the beginning and, and David Beck, I think will reiterate that, but you know, I understand exactly what you're saying. <laughs> you know, what? Uh, like you know, something that is, is fascinating to me is if you go and you experience it in person, sort of the volume of the whole thing is, is kind of shocking, you know, and I've been on the stage one year as, as MC and certainly observed, you know, 20 plus fancy farms now, the volume of it in person is shocking. But if you watch it on TV, on KET, somehow all you can really hear are the speakers and their speeches and you just kind of get a low murmur. See, so to watch it on TV doesn't really do justice to the volume of noise that the speakers are facing. Because I, I can tell you from personal experience, when you're up there and you're talking like you, you intellectually know your mouth is moving and words are coming out, but you're like you, you, <laughs> you cannot hear, hear yourself <laughs> talking it. And uh, and I suspect yeah. the crowd size you're expecting that's going to be the experience uh, for the speakers this year. 
Yeah, I think a lot like what you said about the Gladiator. It's going to be like a Coliseum type of event probably this year with all the, all the cheers. And so, but, but you know, uh, politicians tend to do very well getting close to that microphone and then just plowing through, you know, they don't necessarily pay attention to everything that's going on. But as you said, being the MC, you feel that up there standing there, the, the energy and excitement that's going on. So, uh, that, you know, you, you do, you just almost have to just uh, start and, and not worry about what everybody else is saying to you. Not kind of like what I was just saying about uh, the nun and, and Ford in the past, you know, they would stop and maybe point somebody out, but nowadays it, that'll that'll probably mess you up and the one thing you don't want to do at fancy farm is mess up so um it'll be very very ecstatic and, and crazy this year i'm sure yeah that'd be the advice i would give candidates is just uh, get up there read your speech and uh uh don't worry too much about what the other side is and declare victory right after and declare victory <laughs> well exactly. of course and 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 thank god and goodness for saint your own catholic church for bringing people together because this is the one place on earth where you're getting the people out of their bubbles. Yeah. I mean, in this gar- people are going to be sitting next to each other and and circulating with with people that they otherwise hate on social media and hate and when they watch on, you know, on cable news and suddenly they're looking at them. Suddenly you're you're in line next to them for mutton or pork or a sundrop. It's it's it is kind of fascinating, Stephen, because you might be the last venue in American politics where a politician is speaking in a rally type setting, but not everyone there supports you. I right, mean, right, mo- most right. politicians for big time offices these days, the only crowds, actual in person crowds they ever speak to, are ones that their campaign has cultivated, so largely supportive, or they've been an invited speaker to some, you know, very sort of. Uh, you know, like a chamber of commerce where you know no one's there to heckle or scream. So or, the, you, you might be might be the last place in America where you're speaking at a rally when half the crowd is like out of their minds against your candidacy. Uh, pro- probably so, and that's that's such a good point. My daughter's actually in the crowd, and so um, she listens to the politicians and, and hears them speak. And so the people around her, if you've never, if you, as as what Joe just said, you 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 may not like that person on social media, but you've never really given that opportunity to listen to that individual. And people at Fancy Farm might actually listen to him and say, you know what, that that person's not not too bad. I I actually kind of like that what he just said or what she just said. And so it's an opportunity to really hear the other side that necessarily doesn't happen anywhere else, and it does still uh, happen in Fancy Farm. All right, before we let you go, Stephen, and I know you're busy uh, getting things ready. Tell us a little bit about the town. When I tell people we're going down to Fancy Farm this weekend, you know, they're like, what is that, an, an actual farm? You go to someone's actual farm? Tell it. Fancy Farm <laughs> is a town in Graves County. Tell us about the town. Yeah, it's a very, very small town. There's only one Catholic church. It's, you know, it's it, a picnic started 143 years ago. Uh, it's a town of about four to 500 people, very small, but Catholics, you know, tend to have many, many uh, families, large families back in the day. And so we've all kind of branched out from there, but Fancy Farm's a homecoming for all those people to come back to, to serve the, the thousands of people that come into town. But it's a small community. It has a, it's, it's got a, a, a school there. It's got a hardware store. There's no stoplights, but it's a great, you know, one of the greatest uh, communities probably left in America that truly, you know, neighbors help neighbors. And, and, and that's why we continue to put it on. I was just with somebody at the, at the political stand, putting up the flags and, and this is his first year. And he says, man, everybody really around here, they just, they've got their own job, don't they? And I said, yeah, you just stay out of their way. They've been doing this and their families for generations. Each person gets, gets the job done at Fancy Farm. And, 
you know, it's, it's just a great family gathering uh, that we uh, so much enjoy that we continue to do it. So we're excited for this Saturday. Well, Stephen, thanks for uh, coming on the flyover pod and uh, appreciate what you do. I know this is a volunteer position for you to put this on and you're the one that has to deal with all the politicians and their campaigns. You have to deal with all the media inquiries. You have to deal with all the logistics and, uh, uh, I know this time of the year you're super busy, so uh, thanks for putting it on. And for those of you who are still researching where Fancy Farm is, mm-hmm. it's in Graves County, which is still uh, recovering from the tornado that ripped through a couple of years ago. Stephen, I assume uh, the county is coming along and uh, in, in rebuilding. If you uh, remember, uh, Fancy Farm's quite near Mayfield, which uh, you may have seen on your television screen. Downtown Mayfield was just absolutely devastated what what does the the town of mayfield look like to you now a couple of years out from the tornadoes yeah you know it's it's pretty bare you know they're basically concrete slabs so a lot of the cleanup is is gone and, and has happened uh, some rebuilding is starting so that's that's very positive had several communities uh several nonprofits coming in and helping rebuild communities we just had those recent floods you know not too long ago and that was a little bit of a setback for us but you know, the people of, of Graves County and Mayfield, you know, very resilient, resilient folks. So we'll fight through it. But what I always also suggest people when they come into Fancy Farm in Graves County is just to look around, see see where you can support us. Uh, spend as much money as you possibly can because the wheels of commerce, you know, still need to be turning here. Uh, so we definitely want you to do that. But we're it's 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 a great part of the state uh, of Kentucky. And uh, we're just we're blessed that people come in and, and still want to be a part of it. So. All right. Stephen Elder. The impresario of the Fancy Farm St. <laughs> Jerome uh, Parish event this weekend. You will see him up on the stage welcoming the thousands of people who come to far western Kentucky on the first Saturday in August to hear from Kentucky's politicians. It is a grand, perhaps the grandest uh, local tradition in American politics, and we're so glad that you do it. Thank you for coming on the show tonight, Stephen. Thank you all. All right, take care. And Scott, in your list of media outlets who are coming to the picnic this weekend, you left one off. The flyover pod is yes. going to be there immediately okay. after the speeches, an emergency pod to drive home to. Yeah, we're going to set up, and uh, uh, so hopefully you're listening to this on your way down, and our goal is uh, is maybe towards the end of the speaking, we'll, we'll fire it up and uh, and yeah. try to get something in the can for folks to uh, on their drive back uh, east. Now, so. last year I was not there, and this year I won't be there. Sorry, Stephen. I have a <laughs> my, my sister's uh, 60th birthday. Happy birthday, Elisa. Uh, that'll be with her on on Saturday. But well, but last year I also was listening, and and Daniel Cameron came right over to the to the to the pod, and did an, did a immediate uh, yeah reaction there to the to the event. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll file an emergency pod on Saturday. I'm hoping several of the candidates pop over to the uh, flyover pod table and uh, hop in and give us their immediate instant reaction to what it was like uh, to be on the stage. So we'll look forward to that on Saturday. Cool. Thanks, Stephen. See you, buddy. Moving yeah. on. For as our Scott, you, we talked before about the national headlines, certainly with Donald Trump's latest indictment, but an indictment of character mm. on the Biden family continues, and just an electric and viral moment on State of the Union CNN on Sunday morning. I wasn't sure what to expect that morning, and but as it turned out, I guess it was Jill Biden's former spokesperson and was on there, and Casey Hunt, who was filling in for Jake Tapper and Dana Bash as the host. Yep, Casey uh, was back, just back from maternity leave. Asked him about this, about the, I guess the the change of heart uh, among the Biden family to go ahead and recognize that there's a granddaughter in Arkansas after all. On Friday night, 
the Bidens had issued a statement to People magazine that Joe Biden had ordered everyone to make sure that he now says that he has seven grandchildren instead of six. <laughs> and so that happened Friday. Now, to be clear, a grandchild was not just born. No, the, the grandchild <laughs> that, that is, does happen sometimes. The grandchild, where you add one on. Yes, the grandchild is four years old. Okay, yes. And we've had some recent reporting in the New York Times that neither he nor Hunter Biden has ever met the kid. Uh, for the, for the last four years, Joe Biden in public has said he has six grandchildren. When we all have known that he has seven. Uh, and honestly, this was a last minute ad uh, for the show. I I think we were all kind of hit cold with it. Um, do we have LaRosa's comments? So let me set it up. Casey Hunt uh, sets it up and says Biden is is um, going to recognize the grandchild. And then you have this uh, spokesperson for Jill Biden. Uh, essentially, well, first of all, he called Casey Hunt gross, or he said the topic is gross. Like I, when I was sitting, I, I took it to mean he was saying this is gross that you're even bringing it up. And then she said, well, let's not refer to a little girl as gross, which I thought was a great comment by Casey. Well, then he goes on to blame Republicans in Arkansas and bizarrely their Instagram accounts for making this into a like a weaponized political situation. So his entire explanation for the Biden family shunning this little girl for four years was, oh, those Arkansas Republicans. And while he was talking, Kevin, I just about had enough. Scott Jennings, the president has made being a family man yeah. a central part of his political identity. Uh, it's not Republicans, with all due respect, who made Hunter Biden into a complete scumbag on this and other issues. Right. The, the ignoring his own daughter for four years and the president of the United States hanging up a stocking for the dog, I mean the dog and not for his seventh grandchild. Okay, look, we can, all, we can also have some, we can also have sympathy for people who are struggling with addiction. Let's right. keep this conversation right. respectful. I, 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 listen. I, I totally agree. And you know where I'm from? A lot of families deal with addiction. And you know who ends up picking up the pieces? The grandparents. And in this case, the grandparents would not acknowledge this little girl. It is offensive. But the bottom line is... But they have now. The poll... Oh, <laughs> what a hero. The polling must have been yeah, brutal. Just the polling sure must have been the brutal. No, no one I mean... Oh, but they have now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was... It I was, used to like Casey Hunt on MSNBC at the time. And she, at times, can do a decent job. I met her at Fancy Farm. But that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I, I you love, like you can't say anything. I understand. No, but, I love Casey Hunt. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I'm a I'm a Casey Hunt fan, and I like being on television with Casey. And I was glad to see her back, uh, although she's been off on maternity leave after having a, a little baby. But I, but but honestly, this whole conversation does has revealed just the links to which people will bend over backwards to mm-hmm. make this okay, I, which I don't understand. Now right. I will say this. It is cracked lately. The New York Times article from a couple of weeks ago was brutal. Yeah. The Marine Dowd column, which, you know, for the a Democrat, a problem with. Uh, was brutal. I mean, the only people defending Biden here are The View. Yeah. Basically saying, well, I think these you should ignore forever. You know, like, I mean, they're, right. they're, they're totally. I can't figure but, out either. But, but still, they're still kind of defending it because, I mean, you called him a scumbag. And I can think of no better word to describe well, Hunter Biden. And they said, no, you were the one being inappropriate, not this guy. What I find interesting is the attempts to wave off all of Hunter Biden's judgment issues or all of his decisions. Well, he's an addict, so we're not he's an addict, so we're not allowed to this by the way, this is a fifty one year old man. He's not a child, not a teenager, who had some youthful indiscretions here. This is a this is an adult person, and anybody else would be expected to be responsible 
for their own decisions. And this attempt to just kind of wave it all off, well, you know, he's struggling with addiction. And then the White House later this week says, well, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, this stuff was going on with Burisma and Hunter's businesses. You know, Joe Biden was, you know, his other son was was sick and dying. Like, there's there's, there's an excuse for everything. There, so, these are adult people. These are adult human beings. I don't understand it, Jared. Yeah, I, that has really annoyed me, too, as though you get sort of carte blanche just because Hunter Biden has struggled with addiction. Scott, you made a really important point, too, on that CNN that the grandparents end up picking up the pieces a lot of these times. And that's for families who a lot of times don't have much. This is a guy, Hunter Biden, who for the last however many years has gallivanted around the globe, sold these art pieces, <laughs> you know, seemingly was cognizant enough to become a millionaire artist, but refused to not only acknowledge this child, but refused, you know, he claimed he never even knew the mother and that he doesn't even remember the quote encounter in which, you know, they, that she would have got pregnant. He's a scumbag. I don't know why that's such a controversial thing to say. You can still have empathy and sympathy for people who that who you know who deal with addiction or family members who are going through things with addiction. That doesn't mean you get to just be a bad person. No, like I, I'm sorry. It's and, this like right and and, and, and perpetually nonsense. be a bad person because it's one thing to say. I was an addict and I was on crack and I was unconscious or I was dealing whatever with whoever. But this is a situation where even after the addiction to say, I don't want to take responsibility for anything yeah. while I was high. Yeah. I don't want to take responsibility for anything while I was that's like saying a, like a drunk driver. Well, I was drunk, so you should, you can really, <laughs> you really can't you know uh, uh, incarcerate me for drunk driving. Well, that's how they waved off everything. You know, this whole period of his life where he didn't pay his taxes, where he apparently didn't register as a foreign agent for all the overseas work he was doing, where he fathers a child, where he's you know all this all this behavior that they always wave off. It's all it's always just like, well, if if you were addicted, it's like a get out of jail free card. Right. And 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 I guess if you listen to the Biden Department of Justice, it's also a forward-looking immunity card too. I mean, they the the attempts to let this guy off the hook for his own personal behavior when nobody else in society right gets this latitude. I mean, this is like the epitome of of privilege. And this we, is the epitome of what it means to be the elite. Nothing bad ever happens to you, no matter how big of a scumbag you really are. And we can't let Joe Biden off here either, just because now he has recognized his granddaughter. Again, what a hero. He did it at 5 p.m. on a Friday <laughs> before he went to the beach for a week. He knew that this was a news dump and hoped that people wouldn't. And, and he gave it to People magazine. Well, and I said, if you know, in the in the in the chaos there, the polling must have been brutal. Right. You right. know, you know that's what's going on here. They but polled. They it. just tried to check the box and get out of the way and never have to talk about and it. And Casey's again. right. The, a part of the whole Biden, you know, legend, the myth is that he's this, you know, deeply devout Catholic, false, and that he is this, you know, deeply committed family man, false. I mean, they build these myths around Joe Biden, and I can't. Th this this one shatters it. Yeah. It absolutely shatters it because if you're a person of faith and if you're a person who believes in your family, you wouldn't treat a little girl this way, the way Joe Biden has. It really does puncture Joe Biden. The latest reporting, by the way, I heard today on this, Jared, is that Joe Biden was reserving and not saying anything about the seventh grandchild out of discretion for Hunter. So you're telling me the crackhead who has no judgment, who can take no responsibility, is going to be your moral compass. 
going forward. Say, well, because of this, I have to follow his lead. What does that say about his judgment? He is the smartest man Joe's ever met. That's a true story. <laughs> Jared? Yeah, again, this is, this is again, what is so offensive about this. It's not like, look, these again, these things, if you have a family member who's ever struggled with addiction and gotten into crime, or, it, it's tough to talk about. It's not something you always want to you know put up on a pedestal, whatever. Biden could have said that all along. That look, this is a this is a personal family matter. He didn't have to hang a stocking for the dog and not the kid. Ugh. And then on a Friday night, repeat this thing of, well, I call him all the time, just looping another one into these calls and texts, apparently. It's just it it and just you know. it's such it goes so against this this family man character that they have made him out to be. And he, he is such a fraud. If he truly was a family man, he would have said, you know what? My son made a mistake. But I am going to take care of this child because that's what should happen for this child. But of course he didn't do that. It's not even a good dog. This dog bites everybody <laughs> it meets. It's a terrible dog. Well, the, the, the sad and, and truly tragic um, uh, reflection here is that he comes from a party and from a mindset of that you can get rid of inconvenient children. And this yeah. is what this yeah. is. This is the That's heart what it of looks all like. of it. That's this what is, it looks this, this like. Whole, basically, I can wish this away. This this was a, a pregnancy and a birth in this case that I didn't want. I didn't. Ex- I didn't plan. I didn't expect. And as a result, it does not exist. Yeah. And that is sad. That is immoral. And this is a reflection overall of a much larger truth, unfortunately, about the president. Yeah. They they rhetorically and in practice aborted this child for four years. I mean that, right. and honestly, it, it was a, a re-election campaign that revived her, at least in the eyes of the Bidens. You know, the only thing I regret about my engagement on State of the Union is that when I said it's grandparents who pick up the pieces, and Joe Biden didn't do it. Well, her maternal grandfather is apparently providing for her. Yeah. I mean, I think he was quoted Kevin in the Times as saying. You know, she'll want for nothing. Right, so in right. this case, what I said was true. It's often grandparents that pick up the pieces. One of her grandparents is. And here's the thing. They knew it. The Bidens knew, like, well, they must have known how she was being taken care of. And for Joe Biden to let another grandfather here pick up these pieces and to just turn his back, not just on the little girl, he knew there was another, he's got a peer in this equation. There's another grandfather across the table here. It, 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 it is a heartless, empty, cold-blooded thing to do. And I just, it is, it's, a, it's stunning. It's the, stunning to me, particularly when you consider how Biden portrays himself. The reporting tonight, again, is that there's this discretion for Hunter not to acknowledge the child from, the, from Joe and Jill, Biden here, was that, well, he was negotiating child support, and they didn't want to undermine that. So now we know the actual truth. The child support... Primarily, or at least a big chunk of it is going to be Hunter Biden's paintings. Yeah, I mean, give me well. A here's break. A, but, but for Joe Biden, you can understand the strategy because the more Hunter pays in child support, the less Joe Biden gets from all of his business schemes. I guess is the thing. <laughs> I don't know. It is. A, it is a sad I mean, chapter. Any way you cut it. Anyway, thanks for playing the clip. It was a yeah. that was three straight Sundays. I was on State of the Union, which is a little unusual. Uh, and the last two both kind of took us. The one before that was uh, Kamala Harris right. Day. <laughs> and then we had Hunter Biden Day. I'm going to mercifully take the weekend off and do uh, do Fancy Farm this weekend. Oh, yeah, weekend. Fancy Farm is a weekend off. <laughs> Fancy Farm yeah. is, a, is a weekend off for me. What else in the news this week, guys? Oh, my goodness. Well, Kevin? Anything else? 
There's tons, but I was focusing. Oh. Those are the three big ones. Well, what about Seen Red and Heard? My favorite part oh. of the show. Well, yes, Jared. Oh, yeah. oh Jared's yeah. got well, his I was going to say, no, the best. Have you guys seen the story out of uh, China alleging that the zoo is putting humans in bear costumes? No, that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. That's I not saw true. the video. It's a real bear. It is a real bear. Oh, real now, bear that, that having been said, it kind of looks like but, an that, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, it, is it beyond belief that the Chinese would do that? That's the no. real question. First of all, I can, I can see why Jared's confused because there was another story in the news this week where a man paid like $20,000 to transform himself into a border collie. Did you guys see this guy? No. All right. While we're sitting here, Joe, and making fun of this, you got to you got to type into the to the Googles man transforms into border collie. I, and it, I don't like. It, it. Well, it it's like he like spent like twenty grand this on a dog suit. Podcast other than Stephen Elder has been focused on delusions. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the but the guy, it's it's like an expensive suit. Oh, by the way, oh, yeah. I, I typed in man trans, <laughs> and the first thing it was man transformed into collie. There it is. <laughs> I'm telling you. There you go. Google I didn't so. realize that the trans would get into the border collie world. All right, man. <laughs> the best spent, part. Of this story, Joe, I don't know if it'll say it in the one you're reading, is it alleges that like nobody knows the man's identity. I'm sorry. If you spend $20,000 in all these years making a dog costume, you told everybody you know. <laughs> you're like, at every party, you're like, that's dude, him? just wait. Yes, that, just that's wait. a person? He looks like a real dog. That has, he is just wearing a mask, I guess. But look, he's he's walking Watch around on all fours. He's not standing up like <laughs> the bear. He's literally you know, on all fours. I'm going to have to revise my remarks on the sun bear in China. If this guy is, if this border collie is actually a man... That might be a man over there in China, too. You can be whatever you want to be these days. That's what I know, brother. It's a well, I declare comments. myself innocent, I guess, if I'm Donald Trump. <laughs> All right, let's see here. I, 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 identify, identify I identify as someone who is not going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> man. That is... That's insane. Well, Do you think that's an actual dog that they taxidermed into a suit? I, yeah, I, I think my, they killed a dog to be able to make this man... My question is, can you enter this dog in the dog shows? Oh, I want to see him at Westminster. Because shouldn't we have legislation that means trans dogs are not allowed to compete don't against other no, dogs? No, don't go there. Don't no, go there. no, no, no. Man, that is, it's I, all over the news, though. Look at that. Yeah, jeez. Oh, Unbelievable. What else? What else? Anybody else see her? Well, I mean, my, my whole scene right heard, as, as was yours, Scott, is that I, I spent about 12 hours refreshing Twitter or X, mm-hmm. just incessantly for you know, all day on mm. on Tuesday for the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Yes, because that's the one thing as a St. Louis Cardinals fan that I had to look forward to. Now the season's over because we stink. Yeah, we've hit a bunch of home runs tonight while we've been recording. Oh, you always give us away. I got. I want to go home and watch it on tape delay. The seat. You just said the season was over. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to watch. Spoiler alert: We're not winning the division. <laughs> Golly. Oh, good. Unbelievable. Kevin? Uh, yeah, this uh, last Friday was uh, my oldest Henry's fourth birthday. hey So uh, we celebrated this weekend with a family party. Uh, he is all about outer space right now. Yep. He knows a lot about a lot about space. He's Do we have Kamala? Things. Um, no, he, he has not been to listen to her. He'd probably teach her a thing or two about space. We need space. to get, get Henry a Kamala um, t-shirt. But we made a, a solar system cake, a, a constellation of 11 cakes with the sun, all the planets, and the moon. It, it was pretty impressive. How it's, large were said cakes? Um, the sun was an eight-inch, two eight-inch rounds on top of each other, and the rest were assortments of cupcakes of various sizes and 
It, it was. Uh, now, a did you feat? get this? Uh, like, do you see this like on Etsy or something? No. Or, hold this, on. This is your idea. It's all hold up here. on. In honor, in honor of this party. Hold on. Space is exciting. It spurs our imaginations, and it forces us to ask big questions. Space, it affects us all, and it connects us all. There you go, Henry Kevin. respectfully disagrees and knows more about space than her. You should offer Henry up to be one of the actors to go along. <laughs> He's not Canadian. At NASA. He's not Canadian. Oh, that's true. I forgot. Uh, but it was it was great. Uh, next year he's getting a sheet cake from Costco. That's all I got to say about <laughs> yeah, that. They have big balloons that you can kind of yeah. mimic as planets. Yeah. Happy Jared, birthday, Henry. Jared, what do you got? Um, on a more serious note. Oh, right. um, oh man, the... total blood <laughs> kill. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Um, I just last Friday, uh, the day after we recorded last week's podcast, Officer Wilt, who was the officer who was shot at the old National Bank shooting here or there in Louisville, uh, 109 days he spent in the hospital, mm. um, still has, you know, rehab and a long, you know, way to or, or a long road in, in recovery, but went home on, on uh, Friday out of the, the hospital. I, uh, you know, you see these and you try to sort of think of what to say or tweet. A lot of people were tweeting about it. And, and you know, I just think to reiterate that that man is absolutely in here, a hero, you know, undeniably. And re- kind of remind me of, of the last couple of years in which so many cops, uh, you know, have been called names and, and screamed at by, you know, people on the streets and had things thrown at them and their their names marred and all this. And you know, for that that young man to to run towards that gunfire, you know, spend all that time, you know, uh, in the hospital and still have, you know, positive attitude on his way out, smiling, waving, fist bumping. I mean, what a hero. I mean, just to, to be so selfless to have people like that in our communities. I, I just I can't even imagine the, the mindset that he has just truly a hero and really amazing to see him going home. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to, to Officer Wilt. Well are, said. Amen. Well said. There are funds, by the way, for those folks. You can yes, just Google them yes. very easily to be able to, because this is a situation where we think about it for three months, six months, or a year, and then it kind of fades away. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's probably has, uh, we hope, certainly hope he makes a, a full recovery, but he has very serious injuries that he's recovering mm-hmm. from. It's going to be a long haul for him, and he needs the community support. All right, guys. So, I think we should wrap this up because we all need to get good rest ahead of this weekend. We're going to be out there. It's going to be hot. We're going to be plied with barbecue. We're going to drop an emergency pod on Saturday at the conclusion of Fancy Farm. It's going to be great. Sorry, Joe. We're going to miss you. Did we pipe you in last year from the road? Yeah, we did, but you know the Wi-Fi is yeah a little shaky out there. Hmm. We'll try. Well, hopefully the Wi-Fi is not compromised by somebody inadvertently giving away the Wi-Fi password on Twitter. <laughs> Can we just? You did do that once. I did Can we just? Uh, <laughs> yes. When Joe was a reporter, he like took a picture of the secret Wi-Fi and then <laughs> it tweeted was, it out. Well, it was, and so then all the, ten thousand participants were like, "Oh, I got free Wi-Fi." The photograph. It's his most liked tweet ever. <laughs> <laughs> the photograph was of the speaker's lineup and very small print on the bottom. I didn't realize was the Wi-Fi password for Fancy Farm. Yes. You were like, you mean when I tweet something, everyone can see it? I had no idea. I thought it was just the speaker's lineup. Yeah. Well, we, you know what we could do? Is there an AI? We could like have him listen. We could have the AI listen to this podcast and then like just replicate what it thinks Joe might say about what happened I on Saturday. don't get movie references and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's so loud here. It's so loud. <laughs> oh, man. We'll miss you.
We're going to miss you. Take us home, Joe. No. <laughs> Jared, thanks for piping in from Vermont, dude. Yes. Oh, wait. Sean. Oh, yeah. What do you have to say tonight? Oh, really? Fascinating. Great Sean, point. Sean totally ditched the pod tonight. Where is he, Kevin? I don't know. He He's very vague. It was a dinner with people. He was yeah. used to say. Yeah. Yeah. Busy times for Sean Southern. Busy times for Sean. Well, well, well not for Sean, but for Jared, Scott, Kevin, I'm Joe. Thanks, Scott. See you Saturday. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.